In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. Welcome to the Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast, where I'm back from vacation and the Grizzlies offseason has mostly settled down. The biggest news that happened in my absence was a swap of sorts of backup point guards, with the Grizzlies trading restricted free agent DeLon Wright to Dallas and then signing away another, and former Minnesota Timberwolf Tyus Jones. To learn more about Jones and talk through some of the summer changes in the Western Conference, I'm welcoming one of my favorite NBA writers, Brett Robson, who covers the Wolves for The Athletic. What's up, Brett? Hey, how's it going? It's going well. It's good to talk to you. It's been it's been a, been a couple of years. I had you on the, the 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 previous podcast I did at my previous employer, but this is your first time with us at the Daily Memphian, so I'm I'm appreciative of you of you joining us. My pleasure. So I, I I'll I wanted to get you on. You know, interested in talking to you about anything basketball, but particularly you know with the with the Grizzlies um, acquiring a player who just spent four years in Minnesota, and you've probably seen as much as just about anybody. Seem like the right time. So I'll start broadly. Like, what, what what's your take on Tyus Jones? What can you tell us about about the player the Grizzlies just acquired? Well, I think he's a player with some really uh, idiosyncratic strengths and weaknesses, and as a result, he's kind of a polarizing presence. Um, some of that was complicated by the fact that, of course, he was uh, he went to high school locally here in Apple Valley High, and uh, was uh, regarded as a kind of a conquering hero that way, whereas uh, provincial as anybody is an NBA fan base. Um, but he did um, overcome some pretty fundamental weaknesses. He does not have a good outside shot, and he is uh, very small, even by NBA point guard standards, and uh, not particularly bulky, not particularly muscular. And so consequently, he's not a floor spacer, and if the matchups are right, if an opposing uh, offense in the half court is uh, smart, uh, they can ISO him, and, and that can be problematical. Um, what I will say, though, is that uh, he's an extremely uh, smart, very, very almost off-the-charts uh, court IQ guy and is very uh, noticeable of his own uh, failings and, and does a pretty fantastic job of uh, covering up for them when he can. Um, in terms of defense, he is a, a wonderful uh, ball hawker, somebody who kind of plays um, an area rather than a man when possible. He has great instincts in terms of when to go for a steal, when to take a charge. Um, he tries to be pesky when he's on ball. He tries to uh, not put himself in a position where he's stuck in a crab dribble situation where somebody's just overwhelming him. Um, and he's a very good help defender. Um so he's got, a, you know, he, 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 I think he broke the NBA record this past year for assist-to-turnover ratio, um, which is a, a really wonderful, gaudy stat. I mean, I think it was like 7-1 to one or something, but it's a little bit complicated by the fact that he's a career 41.9% shooter, and that's he's a career 33.3% from uh, three-point line. So if you want to count uh, missed shots as turnovers, I think uh, – that kind of ups that ratio. But overall, what I will say is, at the very least, he is a uh, top-of-the-line backup point guard and um, somebody who won't hurt you, won't be a glaring weakness, 
as a starting point guard, uh, but also isn't somebody that is going to elevate your team at the point. You you don't want, if you're a playoff contender, you don't want him starting for you uh, indefinitely, at least from what we saw in his first four years now. I understand, you know, he's still in his early 20s and probably has a little bit further to progress. But um, like I said, he's, um, he's somebody that um, – really does have some definitive strengths and weaknesses. He, he tests out analytically very strong, which is why I'm sure uh, front office with John Hollinger in it uh, was interested in giving him what I consider to be pretty much top dollar for his uh, potential and his current production, which is about $9 million a year uh, once everything is said and done. Yeah, I don't – just to clarify uh... – one thing, Hollinger. Hollinger is still employed by the Grizzlies, but in, in an advisory standpoint, I'm pretty sure he didn't have much to do with their decision, decisions this summer. I will say, um, in the 2015 draft, the Grizzlies were picking, I think, 24th, um, and that Hollinger was heavily involved then. Tyus Jones is who they wanted in that draft, and, uh-huh. and Minnesota jumped up ahead of them, traded with I think Cleveland to get Jones at 23. Um, and so Tyus Jones has been on the Grizzlies radar since then. Um, and obviously Hollinger had a role in putting him on that radar. I don't think he had much to do with their decisions this summer, but I do think the new front office, um, you know, they brought Rich Cho in, um, and, and the, their lead executive is a younger for, former attorney. They are, they are similarly analytically inclined. And so I think the point, the point still holds in that regard. Sure. Um, and I do think, speaking of the new regime, that you know they they really had a pretty good off season. I think. Yeah, no, I, I think people people who watch it closely here and around the league, but in Memphis, are impressed with how um, the attention, the detail, and thoroughness thoroughness which with which they you know I mean, player evaluation is still to be determined. Uh, although Brandon Clark in summer league was was a good sign, but just the, the attention to detail and all of their transactions and sort of squeezing out every advantage that they can. I think that's something that people have noticed around the league and certainly in Memphis. Um, on Jones, I want to go through a sort of few, um, get into more detail on a few things. So, so how much? And I, you know, I am a, as you know, I, I, I'm a former. Minnesota Timberwolves fan of some sort. Yeah, um, ha- you bear the scars. Right, right. right. I, I, I remember like working at at, at um, Cheapo Books in Uptown one night and listening to to the radio as Chad Hartman called the game where Hollywood Robinson scored forty or whatever it was. And <laughs> there you go. Right. I, I was in the Target Center the the, the to, to see Stefan Marbury and Allen Iverson go head to head and. Um, my, my favorite moment, just to go down memory lane briefly, my favorite moment was, um, when they were bad, I think it was my freshman year in college, um, we were watching a game at, at our dorms and, um, there was one game where Andres Geber, Andre Geber, the Cuban forward, um, yes. went over to the scores table to check in like early in the second quarter they were already down 20 and Kevin McHale says, Geber already, um, <laughs> on the, um, yes. And so I, I bear the scars, but the point I was going to make. Um, or I, I was sort of leading up to. I, 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 I should know this, and I could have looked it up, but I haven't had the time. How much did Jones play with other small guards? No, Jeff Teague primarily would have been there, but did, did they did they use many small backcourts with him and another small guard? Very rarely, and in fact, that was something that um, some of the fan base, uh, especially the Tyus, uh, you know, uh, drum beaters, definitely wanted. And the numbers weren't that terrible when they were together. And uh, strangely enough, I mean, Jeff Teague is kind of a strange guy anyway, but Teague was uh, kind of arguing for it. Um, 
as well. Now, Teague was hurt a lot last season off and on. He, I think he was on the IL at least five separate occasions for five different maladies. Um, so it was really hard to pair them at that point. But uh, Tom Thibodeau uh, was not somebody who liked that combination. He wasn't a big Tyus Jones fan anyway. And and the joke around the, the team, the, the reporting, uh, the beat writers was that uh, Tibbs would always say, you know, you, you can't have the two little guards together. You just can't do it. You can't do it. And then when they signed um, uh, Derek Rose, oh, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Derek Rose and Jeff Teague are just fine as two small guards together. So, um, but in answer to your question, I don't think um, it's, it's ridiculous. I think that Tyus really would function well in, and certainly on offense, if, if John Morant um, can, can hit from the outside and can create his own shot, um, that having him next to Tyus is a good thing because what Tyus does, um, Ricky Rubio is not a great comparison because Rubio uh, has a different body type, but in terms of trying to manage the game, I guess another thing I didn't say about Tyus is uh, he's probably his finest quality is the ability to dictate tempo and settle a team down. Or uh, conversely, if the team is on a roll to basically push pace, you know, continue to stoke momentum, he has a really good sense of game management and, and when a team needs to uh, collect itself and when a team needs to keep firing on all cylinders. And so I think playing next to John Moran, if that is indeed the plan, uh, that might be a good way to uh, kind of uh, foster that type of attitude. You know, you want somebody at the point who's both a level head and somebody who also knows when to go for the throat. And that is something that if, if Tyus Jones were, uh, frankly, a much more talented player, uh, that skill would be even more in evidence and he would be an even better player as a result. Uh, the question of them playing together, I think, is obviously on the minds of people here because – when the Grizzlies decided to let DeLon Wright go and bring in Tyus Jones, I mean, one of the biggest appeals of DeLon Wright would have been that he's more of a combo, and so he can, you know, he can soak up the the he can tag team with, with Morant at point guard, but that also they could play together. Now he DeLon Wright is probably a similarly wobbly shooter to Tyus Jones, mm-hmm. and so you'd have the same issues of you know a backcourt that wasn't necessarily had not demonstrated a lot of mobility um, from from long range. But defensively, like I think people were comfortable that that would have worked, and and so it's, you know, it's the, the Jones Morant together question I think is, is is prominent now, in part because the Grizzlies are really weak at the two guard. Um, of course, yes. they're also in a, in a spot where they're not trying to maximize wins next season anyway, um, and so maybe there's a limit to how much that matters. But but, right. but you know, when you have two small guards, neither of them are have demonstrated a lot of ability, you know, from long range. I think I think that's one of the questions is how, how much, how effectively and frequently can they really play together? Um, but but your sense, as you just said, that that I mean that having Jones out there with Morant may may help Morant in, in terms of his own development. It will definitely help Morant in terms of um, uh, gathering himself. I mean, if Morant is initially overwhelmed. Um, Tyus Jones can be overwhelmed physically, but he's never overwhelmed mentally or psychologically. You never see him really lose his cool. Um, he's somebody who occasionally, as I say, you know, if he's trapped or something, or if uh, they're they're begging him to shoot and he realizes that he's not on that day, he'll try to go in and try to make that floater rather than clank a three. But uh, in terms of game management, in terms of 
having a, a steady hand on the rudder, whatever you want, you know, whatever cliche you want to use. I think he is somebody that will settle down young people. And the Grizzlies do have a young roster. Tyus Jones is, is an old soul anyway in terms of uh, uh, the way he operates in, in the NBA game. As I say, his biggest weakness is one of them I just don't think he can do too much about. He is, uh, he's, he's worked hard on his body. He's listed at 6'2", and you know, maybe about 180, 190 or something. Um, but he's, he's not a force physically. Uh, he does have great hands. He is somebody who can, um, uh, I, for example, he and Jimmy Butler um, just had phenomenal off-on ratings when they were paired together. And some of that is because they're both really smart players, both know how to play uh, defense in space. Um, that kind of player is great uh, for Tyus. Um, and somebody who can shoot and basically um, Tyus can get the ball to somebody who can shoot. Uh, and, and so if John Moran is, is somebody who starts to knock down that shot or, you know, conversely having two really good ball handlers on the floor with one of the things I've noticed about the Grizzlies roster is you guys are just suffused with, uh, with bigs, uh, you know, whether right. it's uh, fours, fives or, or threes. And so um, get, I think getting them the ball, if that's the plan, um, it won't be a problem with Tyus on the floor. That that seemed to me, and I wrote this this week. That seemed to me the the number one. Um, I, I think the, I think the, one of the biggest reasons the Grizzlies made this change was sort of an asset kind of play in that Jones is four years younger than Delon Wright. Um, they got two second round picks from in trading Delon Wright, right? And, and the contract the contracts are similar on the surface, but the sense is that the Grizzlies. If Grizzlies had wanted to keep DeLon Wright, if it had been a hostile takeover from Dallas instead of a negotiated exchange, they would have had to match a bigger offer. And so effectively they got Jones for probably two or three million at least less a year than they were were going to have to pay to keep DeLon Wright. Right. And and so I think, you know, partly it was an asset play, but I do think to get back to the point you were making, I wrote this this week, you know, the Grizzlies, you could argue that three if Brandon Clark is as good as he looked in the summer that you could argue three of their four most talented players are bigs which is unusual yes and it seems like Jones Jones relative to DeLon Wright um is someone who's probably more adept at setting up Jaron Jackson on a pick and pop at get, delivering a good entry feed to Jonas Valanciunas at finding Brandon Clark for an alley-oop off a pick and roll like he's probably going to do more to elevate the games of the bigs that maybe DeLon would, who was more of a slasher defender combo guard, not really a pure point guard. Right. And then the other thing I do think, given Tyus's style on defense, uh, if he knows that he has rim protectors behind him, I think he's a better defender because he, as I said, he takes good gambles. Um, the problem is, is if uh, the Timberwolves last year, for example, uh, for the majority of their season, their front court was Carl Anthony Towns and, and Taj Gibson. That's not a rim-protecting front court. And so uh, when Tyus was uh, filling in a lot of starters minutes with Teague Hurt, um, I think he probably couldn't – he realized he could not afford to sell out sometimes on the steal or, as I mentioned before, sometimes what he tries to do is, is guess – uh, the, the angle of the dribble penetration and position himself for charge. He's also really good at drawing charges uh, in the kind of a semi full court press where he's just trying to pick up the point guard uh, on the inbound. Uh, so I, I think that bigs and rim protectors will definitely improve him on defense. I agree. He's not going to be 
a right type. I think Wright is like six five or something, and yeah. and is clearly somebody who can guard twos. Um, and uh, that isn't Tyus Jones unless you're working a fairly creative descent defensive system. Uh, I think one of the reasons the Timberwolves didn't match, quite frankly, is that under their new regime, they're going with a very switch-oriented defense. And um, a, a, a defense that has a bunch of guys between 6'4 and 6'9 uh, working the perimeter and stopping the corner three, Tyus is not good in that kind of a defense. He 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 sticks out. That's where uh, you know his on-ball deficiency hurts. And I do think that uh, that was one of the things that hurt him in this particular time. Are they looking, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I'm personally interested, are they looking at Culver as someone who can be sort of a secondary playmaker, if not a point guard, someone who can initiate offense and give them that sort Without of a size? doubt. Uh, right. They introduced him finally uh, at a press conference yesterday. And um, he, uh, you can tell that they simultaneously don't want to put too much pressure on him at the same time. Um, and they don't need to justify moving up from 11 to 6 and getting rid of Dario Saric uh, because I think most people understood that deal. But they do want to point out that uh, Culver is more than just a defensive bloodhound, which was kind of like his reputation with Texas Tech uh, last year. Uh, defense is what got that team to the championship game, and uh, Culver was the head of that. But what few people realize is that Culver was the de facto point guard of that team. And so... Um, you know, it's one thing to do that in a very slow-paced uh, Texas Tech style. Another thing to try to play the point in the NBA, and I don't think anybody's really planning on that. But ball handling and being a, a, a primary second ball handler is definitely something immediately on their radar. And I think they're kind of crossing their fingers that maybe they can turn him into a point guard someday. Um you know, jury obviously out on that. Well, I watch, I tell you, I watched Culver quite a bit in college because I, I sort of go in and out with college basketball, but sort of depending on the degree, I think I'm going to have to write about it, right? And sure. And the Grizzlies, I sort of, you know, obviously they had that pick, they owed that pick to Boston and wasn't sure whether they were going to have a pick at all, but there was a good chance they were going to have a high lottery pick. So I watched a lot of those guys. And, and what I got out of Culver, I'm a little, I'd be a little worried about his athleticism translating to the NBA. But mm-hmm. what was most impressive to me was that court vision and passing and sort of, again, not point guard level, but he looked like a guy who could be a really good high level sort of secondary creator um, initiator on, off the wing, on the wing in the NBA. To me, that was what's, what was most impressive about him. Okay, and, and, and that is good news to, to that extent. I do think um, when you talk about athleticism, he claims he, you know, he's ready to guard one through four. I asked him the other day what would be harder, you know, one or the four, and he kind of copped to the idea that quickness might be uh, a little bit more of a weakness for him than yeah, bulk, yeah. Um, which I found interesting because he is kind of, he doesn't project as somebody who, um, you know, he projects as somebody who would have more trouble against fours than he would ones just looking at him, but um what you what you're saying is perhaps he, he's it's an accurate self assessment. Well, th- th- this is not necessarily a um, optimistic scenario, but the guy he reminded right. me of a little bit is Evan Turner, who uh-huh. was sort of a bigger sort of playmaker, right? But not sort of right. a limited athlete. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I'm not a big Evan Turner fan. Right, right, so. right. right. <laughs> I was so sorry to do that to you. Um, 
if they got an Evan Turner type at the sixth overall pick, that's uh, not good news. I think if a shooting comes around, maybe somewhere between that and a Chris Middleton, like somewhere in that you know, yeah, ballpark. Yeah, now you're talking. Right? Um, all right, back to Jones briefly, then we'll get off of that and something sure. else before we wrap up. Um, so what do you make of you – sort, you sort of, you know, you sort of established, like he's always had limitations as a shooter and scorer. But his his offense dipped last season. Like he was year three, he was forty forty six percent from the floor, thirty five percent from the line. Seemed to be trending up, and it dipped back down last season. What did you make? I mean, we're going to look back at that year three was sort of an outlier in his career, or was was it sort of did something happen last season that he, he can bounce back from? What do you make of sort of the dipping the dip in his efficiency last season? Well, his detractors would would point out that he spent a lot more time. Um, not only playing uh, against opposing starters, but uh, not having uh, a guy like Jimmy Butler beside him in the backcourt. Um, and so Butler tends to be somebody who can be very ball dominant if it's necessary. And so um, if, if, if it's more likely with Butler gone last year and then Robert Covington getting hurt right around the same time Teague was hurt, um, you had a situation where his... Uh, his backcourt mate was more frequently Andrew Wiggins, who is legendary for his inefficiency on offense. And so, so to have Wiggins and Tyus as your backcourt um, pretty much invited defenses to, uh, you know, to first of all to uh, make life difficult for Towns, and and secondly, um, Tyus was not going to get any help in that sense, uh, which is one of the reasons I said maybe playing him with a guy like John Morant, if in fact John Morant is is NBA ready right away, at least offensively, would, would probably be a good idea. Um, I, I did look at the roster, and I, I understand, you know, the two-guard clearly sticks out as a, as a Grizzlies weakness, um, you know, unless uh, Grayson Allen can get his head on straight and, and begin to, you know, uh, uh, you know, develop his talent. But I, I, And maybe DeAnthony Melton is another secondary ball handler. Is he still on the roster? Yeah, no. Well, they they just brought him on. They like him a lot. I, I actually think if I had to bet today, I think the starter at the two is going to be Dylan Brooks, who maybe nominally is more of a three. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot yeah. all about Dylan Brooks. But You're right. Given no, the way I the agree. roster's set up, yeah. What are you guys going to do about? Uh, you know, I mean, I assume Iguodala is probably gone, but I count like eight forwards or something. Yeah, I mean, they they got eighteen players right now. If you throw in the the Serbian shooter Marko Gudurić, who they're about to sign, um, Dwight Howard will be gone one way or another. They're they're holding this contract out in case they need to use it in a trade, but if not, they'll wait him sure. before before for camp. Um, Ivan Rabs on a partial guarantee. He's probably not back. That gets you down to sixteen. Iguodala's the real question because. I mean, they 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 want to trade him for value. They got a first round pick to to get him, and now they want to flip him for another. I'm not sure they'll get another, sure. but they're trying. Right. I. What th- about Bruno? I mean, he had a really good summer league. No, I think Bruno. To me, the question would be: they have some guys now who are just there as you know, just contracts on the books. Base basically, they flipped Chandler Parsons to Atlanta for Solomon Hill and um. One of the Plumleys. Yes. I get the Plumleys confused. One of the Plumleys, the lesser Plumley. Right, Miles. I think right, it was. right. And so the question will be like if they if they just have too many players and they can't find trades and they have to cut somebody, are they going to eat one of those contracts? Because those are right. the, those that are, makes sense. those are the guys on the edge of the roster who just may not play. I think Bruno. They have Bruno for cheap. Um, he he looks like he's finally coming around as a like a switchable three and D forward. 
Um, right. So I think he's very intriguing. Like he's never going to be a big time scorer, and he still has issues with his court sense, which is a little wobbly. Um, but he can defend multiple positions, and he's a threat. He's inconsistent, but he's a real threat from three. And so I think he's got a chance to be a a, a, a good rotation player in the NBA. I think I think you know that whole two years away, two years away from two years away, like it's finally here at this point. Like the math has worked out. Do you see you guys going huge in the front court? I mean, a Valanciunas, uh, Jaron Jackson. I think uh, I think they'll start Jay Crowder. I think Crowder Crowder's the one guy they acquired this summer um, who they'll they'll bring into the season and then they'll try to flip him in season. I, I think you know he, he on a seven million dollar expiring contract, a guy like him, even right. if it, even if it's just for second round picks, I think that's a guy that they will be easy. It'll be easy to flip him to a contender for some value. Um, even though Iguodala is 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 more is more sought after, he's his yeah. his contract seventeen million. That's a little bit harder to find deals with seven million exactly. is pretty pretty easy. So I think Crowder will start and be sort of a veteran presence on the lineup until they find a, a trade for him sometime in the season. But you know this sort of brings now, me. The, go, go ahead. The Grizzlies are are, are considered uh, you know according to Vegas they're the fifteenth team in the West. I actually see the Grizzlies you know and, and as you point out. They don't want to get better. I mean, they want the top. Is it top six protected? I don't. Yes, it, it's top six protected, and but then it's unprotected after that. I don't get the sense that they are thinking particularly strategically about the pick anymore. Um, okay. I, I do think the best case scenario for them is to keep the pick this summer, and then go into next summer with you. You, you would have had three high lottery picks in a row: Jaron Jackson, John Morant, and whoever you get next summer. You'll have like seventy million in cap space or whatever, which you don't want to be stupid about, but. I think you can be bad this year and think like, okay, we've had, we have our core in place and now we're just not going to worry about it anymore. You know, I think that's, that's right. probably the hope, but I don't think they're being strategic about that either way. I think like they're not going to have to try to be bad this season. <laughs> you know, their two most talented players are both today 19 years old. And so right. being, being bad is just sort of built into the mix. I do, th- I do, I do think 15th is accurate. This is what I was going to ask you about to wrap up is sort of the Western Conference, how it's shaking up. Sure. Um, I, I think the Grizzlies. I know the Suns were worse last year. The Suns were terrible, but they've been bad for so long. And you know they went out and get Rubio and look at some of the moves they've made. Like they may be terrible again, again, but I don't think they want to be right. And so I think right. I, I think I think the Grizzlies may be the only team in the West that will enter the season with zero playoff aspirations. Mm. And so that's going to lead to maybe a, the Thunder. Well, depending on what they do, depending on whether they move Chris right. Paul or not, right? right. Um, and so that's going to lead to a lot of disappointment in the West because. I see seven teams barring injuries that look like almost locks, and that doesn't include right. the Spurs. And so if you're a team like Minnesota, which I, th- I would put in the same category as like New Orleans and Dallas and Sacramento, like, right. like how, how, how are you approaching the season? Are, are, are they – is it going to be a huge disappointment to miss the playoffs if you're Minnesota, or do they sort of know we're taking a little bit – we're sort of adjusting on the fly, not rebuilding, but reorienting ourselves on the fly with Culver and sort of you know switching our talent? Or, or, I mean, what's the attitude going to be there? Well, I think that the smart fans, um, the non-casual fans, see the handwriting on the wall, especially after uh, the free agency period where the West just got brutally right. better. Uh, and so I have the Wolves uh, out of the playoffs almost certainly. Uh, right. Anybody who I think is, is, is regarding the Wolves as having you know a playoff aspirations – uh, that would depend on Robert Covington repeating his defensive uh, all NBA defensive uh, season 
in Philadelphia. He showed signs of that uh, when he was here, uh, playing after the trade that brought him here on the Butler deal. Um, and he is a, a, a great uh, uplifter of team defense. And and if Culver, you know, is a great defender, Josh Okogi is shot as broken, but he can be a good defender. I can see them kind of changing their identity and becoming. Uh, uh, more of a defensive team and relying more and more on on Towns uh, in you know, on offense, both as a, a ball distributor, uh, much more of a, a Jokic type, although obviously more talented, especially from outside on offense, um, and not a, quite as good a, a disher. But um, it, there's a possibility this team, I think, can get up to 500, but I don't think 500 is going to do it in the West. And um, you know, the way I see it breaking out, I actually think, um, you know, the Pelicans really had a phenomenal uh, – they're stacked to some extent. You know, I mean – I, I just think Reddick and Favors are such good vets to add. Oh, secondary I mean, pieces Favors and Zion as your front court. Can right. you imagine? I mean, that's just brutal. I mean, that that, that is a really – if you have Favors and Zion and Lonzo and Drew Holiday – I mean, I know everybody's talking about the Clippers' defense with Beverly, uh, Paul, George, and and Kawhi, and obviously those are three amazing defenders. But a quartet of favors Zion, Lonzo, and Drew, assuming Zion, you know, gets with the program, and he's got a lot of help there. Uh, and then you have a guy like Reddick to space the floor. You have Brandon Ingram. I don't even know where he fits. Right. And then you have some really good rookies in the Kale Alexander Walker and Jackson Hayes. I mean, what David Griffin did with that team, I think that they'll finish ahead of the Wolves. I think they'll finish ahead of the Kings. Um, you know, I don't know about the Spurs. The Spurs, you know, bring back Murray. They did really well without Murray last year, and the Spurs are the Spurs. Uh, so that bottom of the West is, you know, in Dallas, I'll tell you, between Porzingis and Doncic, assuming Porzingis isn't uh, totally damaged goods, both uh, behavior-wise and physically, you know, they got uh, Maxi Kleber, I think, is a really underrated defender. Dwight Powell is very athletic. They have Seth Curry now to space the floor. Uh, Rick Carlisle is a phenomenal coach. I mean, they could be in the mix. Um, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. And then what I find interesting is how people are really devaluing the Blazers. I've looked at some of these, uh, you know, mock, uh, you know, if the season were to start today, so on and so forth, power rankings, what have you. Um, and many, many people have the Blazers like on the cusp of, of being out of the playoffs. And, you know, I think the Kent Bazemore deal, you know, getting back to my Evan Turner hate, uh, that was a really good deal for uh, Portland. And I think Zach Collins is ready to take another step forward as a, as a modern uh, NBA center uh, in the modern game, space and pace. And Anthony Tolliver, you know, the Wolves totally abused him last season, but, uh, in researching Tolliver when uh, he was signed here, he was second to Steph Curry in true shooting percentage two years ago. I mean, the guy can flat out shoot. So, you know, don't sleep on the Blazers either. It's 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 really uh, it's an amazingly deep uh, conference, and I just can't put the Wolves or the Kings uh, or the Thunder or the Suns or the Grizzlies in that mix. Uh, but everything above that, you know, Pelicans, Mavericks, Blazers, Spurs, Warriors, Nuggets, Lakers, Houston, Jazz, Clips. I mean, they're all playoff teams. So somebody's going to, you know, going to be disappointed, as you say. 
this is last thing, and then we'll wrap up. Um, and this sort of relates to the Grizzlies. Not now, but if you sort of look over the horizon, if the Wolves are sort of really not in the playoff, and I agree with you, um, I, I would put them probably 13th in the West right now. Um, uh-huh, yeah. If the Wolves aren't really a playoff contender this season, how much is the clock ticking with Towns? Well, I think it all depends on how ridiculous this gets. I mean, um, I, I, I put it this way, about four or five months ago, I was chafing at that question uh, because I thought it was absurd. Right. Um, but the more that, uh, you know, you have guys, I mean, I remember when Kyrie Irving was regarded as uh, kind of absurd because he wanted out with a year after the year he was heading into left on his deal. Well, what I like to point out to people is Carl Anthony Towns is yet to play a minute on a five-year contract. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, to, to worry about Carl Anthony Towns bolting now, um, if you're doing that, then it, it is clearly a sign that you have absolutely no faith in your decision makers. And, you know, being Wolves fans, there's obviously ample precedent for that to, to be an accurate assessment. Right. But I do think Gerson Rosas, and I do think the way the, the, the Wolves front office has been put together and the way they're cottoning to him, I mean, they made a big run at D'Angelo Russell and a large part because Towns was uh, buds with him and wanted to play with him, and they really have involved Towns in a lot of the decision-making. Um, I think Towns wanted to be wanted, and clearly that wasn't happening in the Thibodeau era. It's clearly is happening now. So uh, the, that's the winded answer. The quick answer is I think the Wolves have bought themselves two years, right. maybe three if they make some progress. Uh, but, you know, it's the modern NBA, and he's a superstar, and the clock is ticking. It feels like you want – I mean, it, it is tiresome, but we are in the situation where as soon as one guy moves, it's like, okay, who's next? And I don't think he's right. next. I think people are going to start speculating about Giannis next if the if the Bucks don't break through. But it sort of feel like, feels like with the Wolves – that you probably want to see a path forward you can believe in after next summer, maybe like, you know, that, that, you know, you give this new front office all of, you know, this summer and all next season. And then you see sort of where, how they've pivoted the franchise and where, where they're headed maybe next summer. So what it feels like to me from the outside. Right. And I, I do think, you know, for the towns just gave an interview yesterday with a local radio station where he, praised the new guys, Rosas in the front office, up one way and down the other. He was always a big uh, proponent of Ryan Saunders. I actually think that there's a decent possibility Ryan Saunders wouldn't have uh, gone from interim to real head coach without Towns' backing, um, despite all his you know ties with the franchise. Um, it, the, the defense was horrible with, with Ryan as a coach last year. Um, but I do think that they are catering to Towns as much as possible, at the same time, they're, you know, they're going about their plan in a very, very uh, deliberate way. Um, they have indicated um, with their signings after they lost out on Russell, there were a lot of uh, bargain basement signings, Noah Vonley, Jake Lehman. Uh, they picked up a couple of guys uh, from Brooklyn, uh, Shabazz, Napier, you know, the debris from the uh, Kevin Durant signing. Um and so um, I, I think that they are going for value plays right now, which is kind of a signal to everybody that they're not going to be chasing the playoffs. Um, but 
Rosas has also vowed that if there's any way to help this team, you know, like the Grizzlies front office, the, the depth of detail and the thoroughness and the constant hard work has made a positive impact on the fan base. But the fan base in Minnesota uh, rightfully is among the most jaded in the NBA. Uh, perhaps only the Kings have greater cause over the last, you know, bunch of years. Uh, and mostly because they keep firing coaches who are successful for them. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that it's a decent question to ask. I think that uh, we'll have to see my own feeling on it, quite frankly, is it's as much on Towns as it is on the team. You know, Carl Anthony Towns has not been a two-way player. Right. Um, he's had a lot of problems on defense. And locker room-wise, he has not been uh, the kind of guy who has been a great leader now. Um, you brought in a guy in Jimmy Butler who openly mocked Towns and Wiggins and uh, just uh, cancer, you know, is, is an overused word, but he was certainly a virus uh, within the locker room and in divided the locker room and, um, and Towns, uh, you know, got, got, got hurt by that. Uh, Towns is uh, inability to, uh, play at all well against Joel Embiid, who was a notorious social media guy, also hurt his reputation, I think. Um, so Towns, I think, is, has been wounded. Uh, you know, in the NBA GM surveys, uh, he was the player most likely to be wanting to start a franchise with for two years running. And now, you know, he's not even close to being in that conversation. So uh, he's got a lot to prove. And, um, at the same time, any anybody would be a fool not to say he is leaps and bounds the team's best player and and the reason if they do ever make a step toward uh, being a genuine uh, playoff contender in the you know in the NBA and not a one or two year in and out it will rest on uh, Towns' ability to rise to the occasion so it bears watching and uh, it's a star system in the NBA and he is the Timberwolves star. Yeah, well, in Memphis, we're hoping Jaron Jackson, you know, will be that two-way player. I mean, I don't know if he'll ever be offensively what Towns is, and but, but more mm-hmm. more to the point, I think people in Memphis are hoping that John Morant will be a better um, sidekick uh, for Jackson than maybe Wiggins has been for for Towns oh. and going forward. <laughs> you better uh, hope so. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, Andrew Wiggins is 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 spectacularly. I mean, maybe John Wall and uh, maybe there's a couple of other worse contracts in the NBA, but you'd be hard pressed to find them at this point. And this is coming from somebody who defended Wiggins his first uh, three years in the league, much to my now regret. But um, you know, yeah. I, I I think that what Rosas may be trying to do, at least I hope he's trying to do this, is set up a system where uh, Towns uh, has a a offensive sidekick with a score first uh, point guard and then surround them with really scrappy uh, switch oriented defenders who also are decent ball handlers and maybe one or two that can hit the, uh, you know, catch and shoot three on the weak side. I think that's a pretty good recipe for how to surround towns towns. When he played with Covington last year uh, was a much better defender same thing happened very early as a rookie in his rookie season when he was paired with Kevin Garnett. When he's around somebody who really knows what to do and tells him where to go or sets cues for him that uh, pretty much make him go where he should go, he is a much better defender. It's when Towns has to read and react in space with somebody who is not automatically doing the right thing. That's where Towns gets in trouble. 
Um, Brett, we, we we thank you for for joining us. We we'll have to get you back on during the season sometime when there's not a uh, Minnesota Timberwolf who has become a Grizzly. Um, but but <laughs> sounds we, good. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. Um, we'll definitely have you back on in season if you're willing. Um, and my pleasure. Always good to talk to you. For Brett, I'm Chris Harrington. This has been the Daily Memphian Grizzlies podcast. Thanks to the OAM Network and Gil Worth. You can subscribe to the site at dailymemphian.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Daily Memphian and subscribe to this podcast and all of our others wherever you get your audio, including iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.